as a, as a theme. Um, could you set the third slide up there? And I should need to remind myself I've got the clicker. Shall I click it? Yes. OK. <laughs> now, this look might, look might look, maybe, look a bit familiar. If you were here a month ago when I last spoke, um, I had this slide up, and I was speaking on this passage. And this was part of our month where we were looking at encouragement. We now moved to prayer. And that was deliberate, by the way. It wasn't just you know, a chance event. Because I wanted the church to think about the many encouragements in God's word. You know, we've been for a pretty rough time. You know, before the pandemic, during the pandemic, and the future is lies before us, right? Um, so the church needs to feel you know, God is still for us. And we need to recognise the one whom we serve. You know, and uh, we need to be encouraged. We do need to be encouraged by that. Um, and so I was using this, and I was, I was, I was, I was just emphasising the point, you know, God didn't give us a, a spirit of fear, but one of power and of love and self-control. And I'm now going to be moving on as we talk about prayer. We're talking particularly today about what you might call praying together. You know, traditionally, you used to use the term corporate prayer. Sounds quite a big thing. Rather impersonal corporate prayer, isn't it? I like the idea of praying together, and that's really what I want to focus on. And that's what this passage is about, by the way. Uh, hopefully you'll see that. It's actually entitled in the NIV, The Believer's Prayer. And it's a lovely example of what, um, you know, coming together for a prayer meeting should be about. It's a really important thing. It's a joyous thing. It's a, it's a thing where God often speaks into his church in power. It's a place where God's people come together as one. You know, there's a sense of unity and belonging. You know, when there are prayer meetings where there are just two or three present, okay, they're great, that's good. But it isn't representing the church. You really want your prayer meetings to really draw the body of the church together. We all have times where we pray individually, don't we? I certainly hope so. Um, but it's different coming together in prayer. And I'm hoping that as I just say these few words here, we'll just see why it's so different and why it's so important as well that we do so. Um, I always think of... Uh, prayer as being a bit like breathing, um, whether it's personal, private prayer, or I'm praying with others. You know, Father, I'm going to say it's breathing. You know, it's just my breath is my physical, you know, sustains me. If I stop it, I'm going to be on the floor pretty fast. Uh, I, you know, prayer is that sort of same, it's a good metaphor or analogy, I never know the difference between the two, but it's a good image of what prayer is all about. It brings us daily, regular life, and we need to... Um, to recognise that. It enriches our lives, it sustains our lives of faith, and it is very central in that sense. But I do think, as I say, when we come together to pray, corporate prayer or prayer meeting, um, we're doing something very special. You know, we're coming together as God's children, as believers, God's children, and we're gathering around our, our Heavenly Father. We almost, you know, sometimes we go into prayer meetings and we go, we sit down and it's all rather quiet, you know. Can you imagine a group of children rushing into a room to talk to their parent? Gabbling, blah, 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 blah. You know, there's, I think there's a little picture there. You know, God says, come to me as, your chil as my children. You know, and we come in so serious. And, you know. um, but, but I think there's a lesson there. You know, we must remember who we are in Christ... And, and we must you know, recognise we are you know, children gathering. I think that image of children gathering around a parent is a great one for a prayer meeting because it can set us free 
You know, the trouble is, as we get older, we, get, we can get rather formalised and we get rather regular and dependent. To, uh, you know. So I just want to give that image to you. The next time you're in a prayer meeting with others, think of yourself as a kid. I don't care how old you are, John. <laughs> no. The, the, uh, but the think of yourself as a child coming to God. In, in the book of Acts, we see um, an example of the early church's dependence on this means of God's grace. They, they face numerous challenges and threats. Um, and it's a wonderful example, I think, that continues need to speak to us today, in our present day, where sadly, often, the act of praying together regularly is rare or lacking. And then when we do so, as I've already intimated, it's often a very timid affair. It's a subdued affair. It can often be a rather joyless affair, uninspiring affair. You know, we're likely to walk out of a prayer meeting sometimes thinking, well, I've been there, I've done my duty. Let's get on with my life. But it should be a pivotal point. You know, I've been there, I've been praying with believers. You know, we're trying to get, you know, understand from the Lord where we need to be. You know, and, we, and God answers. You know, just as you, if you're surrounded by your kids, you know, you can't help but answer them. And I do believe God, you know, responds to that spontaneity and that desire as well. Now, I do recognise during COVID, our opportunities for corporate prayer have been rather limited. There's been a lot of online type stuff, but, and that's fine, but it's not the same in my mind. You know, we are physical, mortal beings. I think we do pray together. There's definitely a place for that. But I would like you to think seriously this morning after you hear the message is about, you know, as you, we slowly come out of this COVID thing, hopefully, uh, how are you going to engage in, in praying together in the coming months? You know, are you going to, what part will you be willing to play in this? And I'm going to leave that for your reflection. That's not any business of mine, really. But uh, do reflect on it and pray about that. I think one of the hallmarks of the early church was that they were... They were really down and out in one sense. They were being persecuted and harassed from all different sides. And they were regularly in situations where they had to get to their needs in prayer. You know, we all have situations in our lives which finally drive us to our needs. We're not always the quickest to go in that direction. And, and, they, come, and they come just praying to God uh, to find a way through for them. And they don't do so, in the example, timidly. They do, don't do so quietly. They seem to do so with a boldness and a knowledge that God can sort this out, all right? But obviously they need to find, understand God's will in this as well. So they pray into God's will. So I think their prayer meeting we have here in, in Acts is a, is, a, is, a much, is a powerful affair. Although the church, early church has very little material advantage, uh, which we so easily depend on today in church life, as far as they're concerned, they had all they needed. They had the God to go to, to in prayer. And they didn't know the importance of prayer, and they desired to see God at work amongst them, and that's why they called out to God again and again and again. You know, God is not our puppet. We don't tell God what to do. You know, just because we're praying doesn't mean God responds in the way we want to. You know, that isn't it. But we, you know, God can move forward, and if we understand God's will, um, you know, we will see great things as well. Spurgeon's, Charles Spurgeon's, he was asked once about the secret of his, one, his you know, evangelistic ministry, which obviously was quite tremendous. And he just said, my people pray for me. He didn't attribute it to himself. 
But he said, my people pray for me. Even as a pastor, I know in churches, you know, where people, you, you feel yourself sometimes upheld by other people's prayers, and you often individually do that as well. And it's really important. St. Augustine said, he said to his followers, he said, pray as though everything depended on God, but work as though everything depends on you. Which is a great one as well, isn't it? We don't just pray and think, well, oh, we leave that now, get someone else to do it. You know, there's also a sense of our responsibility in that. So very simple, wise words there. Prayer is not an escape from our responsibility to engage with the world. I think it's very much our response of faith to God's ever-present desire to work in us and through us into the world. I think if we really want to be servants of this community, we've got to pray. We've got to pray. This thing up here now is called a word cloud. I don't know if you've ever seen them, but they're quite interesting things to do. You can take a passage of words and you can draw, it helps. The bigger the text is, the type, the more significant that theme is within the text. And this is a word cloud of the passage that Sue just read to us. And I just want to point out some basics here. And I've, I've put the title in about praying together with boldness, but you can see boldness is a very key theme in that, in, in that text. Uh, Jesus is really, really central. The word of God is very present. Um, and also you've got a couple of other words which are coming together. There's, there's gathering, I can't see it at the moment myself. There's together and there's gathered. There's a sense of drawing in. You know, these are the key themes. I mean, you may not, may not find that very easy, but I, I find it quite a useful um, visual reminder. Personally, I find it a bit easier than that. But that's up to you, because I'm going to leave that up there now while I speak on this passage, so <laughs> you can make your own mind up. Uh, before I can speak on this passage, I need to take us back uh, a little bit earlier in chapter 4 and just set a scene, because then it puts in place what's going to happen. Um, so Peter and John, the apostles, have been hauled up in front of the Sanhedrin, which is the Jewish religious court. Because, verse 2 of chapter 4 says, they've been teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Wonderful. So there they are, they're in front of the Sanhedrin. But even in front of that court, even in front of those important people, you know, these are significant judges and you know, important people, they have continued to proclaim the gospel boldly. In fact, verse 12 finishes with the verse, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And although they would have had a very natural concern for their own safety, their boldness just comes through, doesn't it? You know, they, they are da daredevils. Are they daredevils for God? That boldness is coming through. Where are they getting this boldness from? You know, we all can be quite timid. We all can be quite fearful. Verse 13 actually says, when they, 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 they saw the courage of Peter and John, they, and they realised that they were just simple, unschooled, ordinary men, they just were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. And the court doesn't know what to do with them. They really, they really don't know what to do with them. Um, they tell them not to speak again in the name of Jesus. And... Um, but Peter and John replied to me, he says, judge for yourselves what is right in God's sight, to obey you or, our, or to obey God. We cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. 
and they threatened them again and they threw them out and let them go. So that, that comes back into our passage here. So this is Peter and John coming back in. Um, so on their release, verse 23 tells us, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that had happened, all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And I think, as I say, what we have here in the, in the, in the Bible, I think is a, if this is recorded as a, a wonderful example of believing prayer as well. And we actually see through this whole passage now that, that the power in Jerusalem that day was not actually the wonderful court of the Jews, but it was actually going to be the prayer meeting itself. Now, this prayer is born out, first and foremost, out of Peter and John's witness and service. They haven't just been sitting around having lunch or watching telly, all right? They've been out there and they've been working for the Lord and they've met significant opposition in doing that. And they, as it were, are coming back from the trenches, as it were. You know, they've, they've been labouring and, okay, they're still on their feet and they're still relatively unscathed. And the church very quickly gather around them. You know, whatever they've been doing, it's not just Peter and John, is it? The church say, you know, you've been doing that in Jesus' name. So we, we're part of that. We may not have been there with you in front of that court, but we're part of this, what's going on here. And they gather around them in order to pray. What do they pray? They're going to pray that they want God to give them further opportunities to continue to share the gospel. They don't pray, get us out of this, or get rid of them, but they pray that they want to share the gospel more. Again, it, just coming back to sometimes how our prayer meetings can be, and don't be, I'm not, I may sound overly critical, I don't mean to be, but I've been in a lot of prayer meetings in a lot of churches, and I, and I also recognise that sometimes you go into a prayer meeting and there's no sense of urgency, there's no sense of blessing. Um, you know, it's almost like we don't, know, we don't come expecting much of God, and for, oddly enough, surprisingly, we don't get much from God either, do we? Within this prayer, there's a real sense of unity. 24, verse 24, they raise their voices together in prayer for God. You know, they, 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 didn't, they didn't whisper together, but they, they raised. I mean, it sounds to me quite a noisy affair. I don't know if you mean prayer meetings where people pray all together. Some people can find that rather disorientating. I've, okay, that's okay. Um, but it's actually a sense of, there can be more of a sense of passion and desire within that. But it sounds to me like there's lots of people praying here and it's noisy and it was passionate. They really felt about what they were asking for. And we also see in this that they were, their prayers very quickly included uh, some holy scripture, included some verses out of the Bible. In fact, Psalm 2 in this example we have here. And again it reminds us the importance when we do pray but what we're trying to do is align our will to God's will. We're not trying to tell God what to do. Right? So it's important to do one way of doing that is to read God's word and actually pray in God's word as well. Um, as I say, very much lining, seeking to line our will to God's will. And it's also true, often my experience in prayer meetings has been when we, you use God's word to pray, uh, often God speaks back for his word. People have a verse or something. It happens to be, this is God, God speaking back through his word, which you would expect him to do. So again, 
I do want to remind you, you know, the Bi- our Bible should be in front of us in a prayer meeting. You know, they shouldn't be on that shelf, wherever it is. Uh, as I say, true, true prayer is, is not telling God what to do, but asking God to do his will in us and through us. It's about getting God's will done on earth, not about getting our will done in heaven. So these followers of Jesus didn't pray that God would just change their circumstances. They didn't pray that they would not the enemies, the Sanhedrin, out of their office, as it were, uh, but they asked God to empower them so that they might make the best use of their present circumstances in order to accomplish what God had already prophesied in Psalm 2 would come to pass. I'm going to read verses 24-25. So when they've heard from Peter and John, they raise their voices together in prayer, and they pray, and this is Psalm 2, Sovereign Lord, they said, you have made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in it. And you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, David. And so this is Psalm 2. And why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather against the Lord and against his anointed one. And they take that text and apply it then into their present circumstances. And they say, indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. So this isn't a fatalistic prayer, but a prayer of faith, trusting in God as the Lord of history, the sovereign God, who has a perfect plan and will ultimately be victorious, regardless of what opposition is faced in the short term. So they, they ask God for, for divine enablement, not for an escape from their present hardships. A, one guy, a guy called Philip Brooks, I found this quote which I thought was quite helpful. He said, don't pray for easy lives, pray to be stronger men and women of God. Do not pray for the tasks equal to your powers, pray for the powers equal to your tasks. I thought that was quite a nice uh, little saying. And that's the way these early Christians prayed. They prayed confidently, they prayed boldly. And I think that's the example they give to us as well. They knew God was sovereign. Right? And they addressed him accordingly as sovereign. One who is in supreme authority and control of all matter in time and space. And that Psalm 2 which they use describes the revolt of the nations against the Lord and against his anointed one. The psalm probably originally came from the crowning of new king in Israel, maybe David, but ultimately it's always been seen as a messianic psalm and ultimately points to the king of kings, Jesus Christ. But they took that psalm and they applied it to their own situation. And they identified their adversaries as Herod and, Herod and Pilate and Romans and the, the Sanhedrin. These people who'd ganged up against Jesus had him crucified. And yet God raised him from the dead and enthroned him in heaven. And yet all of this was part of God's perfect plan. So the early church strongly believed in and therefore prayed in the light of God's sovereignty 
and we should note that they did not permit their faith in God's sovereignty, though, to destroy their own responsibility to be faithful in prayer and witness. The last few verses, 29 and 30. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the holy name of your servant Jesus. So again, they didn't ask for protection. They asked for power and they asked for enabling. They didn't ask for, as it were, fire to fall from heaven on their enemies, but instead for the power from heaven to preach the word to them. Their requests were for boldness, not for safety. And in this example here, this believer's prayer did release God's power. For we read, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. God's answer was to shake the place where they were meeting, to fill the people once more with his spirit and give them the boldness that they were asking for. It wasn't a second Pentecost, for there really can't be a second Pentecost, no more than you can have a second Calvary. But it was a filling of the spirit to equip those believers to serve the Lord and to minister to the people. And if we look forward beyond this reading, just into the next few verses, we see that this fullness and blessing of the Spirit that came out of that prayer meeting also created a much stronger sense of unity and purpose amongst the people. Verse 33 says, With great power the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was amongst them all. Through their praying together, they enjoyed great power and great grace, which surely must be hallmarks of any great church. The name of Jesus Christ has not lost any of its power. But it has many, for often we found, yeah, as God's people, we seem to lose access to that, I think, because we've stopped praying earnestly, together, expectantly, boldly, to a God who we know is sovereign. The sovereignty of God is not an abstract doctrine that we try and accept and defend. It's a living truth that we act on and we believe in and we depend upon and apply in our praying. Again, there's an evangelist who said, pray for great things, expect great things, work for great things, but above all, pray. And I think that's what the early church's example is being. You know, church under persecution, a church that had very little materially going for it at all, and yet they knew whom to turn to. So I just hope that we can just see from that in some different way how that prayer meeting was like a real centre, as it were. It's almost like the boiler room of the early church, the fire being stoked up, and the faithfulness to praying together to corporate prayer is very, very important. Not praying just for praying's sake, as a religious duty, as something I ought to do because someone's asked me to, but praying in which the church together submits itself to God's will and word and simply asks him to provide the means they need to go and do his will. So lastly, just come back, I suppose, to here. Because I think this text, he says, pointing it in different directions, 
I'll go backwards. No, it didn't go backwards. So just reminding us once again of this other text. You know, God did not give any of us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love and self-control. Might we, with that same spirit, just be reminded to pray regularly, together, boldly, right? And just, uh, you know, recognise the future of this church is very much tied up with, you know, our desire for prayer in that sense. And to that end, just a couple of things to, to bring to your attention, I suppose. Um, we, normally, Brian holds a, a, a prayer meeting, a praying together meeting, um, on the first Saturday of each month. I think that's right, isn't it, Brian? 10 o'clock. So that's been moved forward one week to the 30th of October. So on the 30th of October, there's a prayer meeting in this church. So that's the last day we're talking about prayer, actually. Um, this is on the Saturday before Sunday. Uh, so at the end of that, this month's series. And can you just think about being at that prayer meeting? You know, coming together. You know, read, reread that passage. Uh, don't you know, my fault rambling, you can forget all that. But, but reread that passage in Acts 4. And just look at that example. You know, the word is there as an example to us. It's there to instruct us. Um, and just think about your personal responsibility to do that. I know everybody has busy lives. I know there's always lots of good reasons. Uh, but please think about it personally as well. All right.